0: Good morning, church family. So good to be here with you. My name is Caleb. I serve as one of your pastors here at Oak Point, And uh, I am so excited that I get to invest in the lives of middle school students. I love The Rock. And uh, this past Thursday night was an incredible time. It was a gift to be able to hear and see students go public about their love for Jesus through Baptism. Uh, God is at work in the hearts and lives of our students, and He is worthy of praise. Can we give Him praise this morning? I'm very excited this morning for the opportunity to open God's Word with you and to study it together. Uh, and this morning, we are going to be continuing in our series, Against All Odds, How the Name of Jesus Spreads. We're in the book of Acts. We're in Acts chapter 12. And what we're going to find as we study our text this morning is we're going to be studying the life of King Agrippa. And we're going to find the danger of pride and how pride opposes God and ultimately how pride Will fall. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 12. If you have your Bibles, please open them up with me to Acts chapter 12. We'll be reading verses 20 through 24. Acts chapter 12, verse 20 through 24. Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. He had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon and now joined together, and now they joined together and sought an audience with him. After securing the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. On the appointed day, Herod wearing his royal robes sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, this is the voice of a God, not of a man. Immediately because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down and he was eaten by worms and died but the word of God continued to spread and flourish. Let's pray. Father, we praise you this morning. We thank you that you are a God who is merciful and who is kind even to us, those who pridefully oppose you. God, I pray as we open your word that you would give us understanding into what it says, and then that your spirit, you would give us the desire to apply it in our lives. We love you and we praise your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. One of the tasks I have as a father of two sons is uh, in the middle of the night when they awake crying, I am responsible for refilling their bottles of milk. And so in the middle of the night, I've gotten really good, and it's almost second nature now. uh, When they awake and they begin crying, then I'm able to go into their room. I'm able to find the bottle that they had thrown somewhere in the room, able to pick it up, able to take it downstairs clean it out, do a quick sniff test, fill it back up, bring it back all within just a few moments so that they can go to sleep and I can go to sleep. Uh, recently, I was getting a bottle prepared for my youngest son, Gavin. And uh, so I went up into Gavin's room and I was searching for the bottle. I located it uh, and I began to head downstairs in order to refill it. Now, life has changed a little bit being that we have two children now because when the child awakes and cries, you want them to go to sleep. You want the crying to stop, yes? But when you have a second child, now the concern is to make sure that the one crying stops crying so the other one isn't awoken. And so quickness is of the essence. You must move quickly to get the bottle to the child crying. So I took Gavin's bottle into the kitchen, and as I looked at the outside of the bottle, uh, there was some milk uh, left in it. The milk looked fine. It didn't look like it had been aging for very long. So uh, I went ahead and unscrewed it. I took the gallon of milk and just as I was getting ready to pour into it, I decided to do a quick sniff test. Now, what I observed on the outside thinking was a clean bottle was not what was happening on the inside. When I took a sniff of that bottle, I began to gag. And the reason I began to gag is that the contents within the bottle were no longer good. They smelt wretched. The problem is that I had picked up a bottle that had been there much longer uh, than one night. I picked up the wrong bottle. And as I opened it, I realized that that was the case. So th- though the bottle seemed clean on the outside, as soon as I opened it and its contents were revealed, what I realized was that actually there was gross nastiness on the inside of the bottle. And the reason I bring this up is that Pride in our lives is a lot like the bottle that I tried to refill for my kids. You and I face a grave danger in our lives on a daily basis of pride. And the problem is that you and I can present ourselves to other people as being humble and as having their best interest in mind and and as being people who are thoughtful towards others. But when the contents of our heart are revealed for what they are, we find often that pride is there. At least that's what I find in my life. And, and what I hope to talk about this morning is the danger of pride and our need for the word of God to daily deal with our pride. And so this morning, we're going to be in Acts chapter 12, continuing this series. And, and the danger of pride is completely and fully addressed by God's word. Though my pride opposes God, his word always overthrows my pride. And so the phrase in in the scriptures, the word of God, especially in the book of Acts, what this refers to is the gospel. The word of God refers to the gospel. The gospel is simply the good news that my sins can be forgiven and my relationship with God can be restored through the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. And so the word of God is what we need. We need to be reminded of the gospel every day so that we might be humbled in spite of our prideful opposition. As we go to Acts chapter 12 this morning, we're going to be picking up from where Pastor John has had us in the last few weeks. And as we go to this text, we're going to find King Agrippa, and we're going to find him completely unveiling the pride of his heart. And what we're going to find as we study his life, and as we look at Acts chapter 12 as a whole, is that the church was under intense persecution. We know that, that Herod had recently just taken and jailed and actually killed one of the apostles, and the Jewish people were very excited about this and this motivated him to continue this rampage. And so next we find that he finds the apostle Peter, he imprisons him and prepares to put, put him on a public trial. And you and I both know uh, from a few weeks ago what happened. Uh, the Lord frees Uh, Peter from his jail cell, and he is freed from the grips of Herod. And so as we look into our text, we're gonna find three key things about the danger of human pride. And the first one we're gonna look at this morning is that pride exalts self. Pride exalts self. Look with me again at the beginning of our text. At the very end of verse 19, it says this. Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea, and he stayed there. He had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and sought an audience with him. After securing the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. Pride is self-worship. It is the mistake that we make when we elevate ourselves to a position higher than we ought as God's created people. And so pride is something, unfortunately, that becomes very natural to us, and pride is when we exalt self. The pride in our hearts cause us to find it very difficult to listen to the authority of people around us, doesn't it? I don't know about you, but when I'm driving down Wixom Road, which the posted speed limit is 35, unless there's a police car in the vicinity of where I'm driving, I find it very difficult to not just see that sign as a suggestion as opposed to being the rule. At summer camp at the end of August, uh, the pastors, the coordinators, the student serve team, the nurses, we all had golf carts. Uh, and we had a blast of these golf carts. But we had golf carts to help us get around the campgrounds quickly. Now, what you need to know about Lake Hand Camp is that they have a beautiful camp campus. They do a great job keeping it looking nice and pristine. And uh, we had a really difficult time uh, dealing with what I would say is the pride of our hearts in, in light of their authority and what they're asking of us. You see, it was much easier to drive our golf carts on the grass than it was on the paved uh, walkway. There's a few reasons for this. If you drive on the grass, you don't have to worry about hitting someone on the sidewalk. And you also don't have to slow down. And so we were asked a few times and we struggled uh, with this reality that we needed to keep the golf carts on the path. The reality that I hope you see in your life, as I see in my life, is that we struggle to hear and to receive the authority of others around us. We find in ourselves a natural inclination to almost rebel against the authority around us. And so what we find is that our pride is something that we've inherited. We have ancestors named Adam and Eve, and because of their pride, Rebellion against God, you and I have inherited a nature that causes us to want to rebel against the rule and reign of our Creator. And because of this, we find that we make decisions and we have desires in us that cause us to want to move away from what God is asking us to do. And what we find with pride is not only does it drive us from obedience to God into emptiness, what it does is it causes us to pursue satisfaction where it cannot be found. We cannot find satisfaction following our own end. We must surrender what we want so we can find true satisfaction in our maker. Back to our text, it says, Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and then he stayed there. He had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and sought an audience with him. Commentators suspect that the reason that Herod made this move was because he was embarrassed and because he was angry that the apostle Peter had escaped from his prison. And so because of his pride, he leaves the area where Peter escaped in order that he might escape the embarrassments that he was feeling. In addition to Herod's open opposition to the word of God and the authority of God in his life, we find that he is openly opposing the Christian church, that he is seeking to silence those who are making the name of Jesus known. And in addition to these quarrels, we know that he's fighting with the people of Tyre and Sidon. These are two, uh, area, two groups that live in the area underneath his rule and reign in his empire. And we don't know why they're fighting. We don't know what the source of the quarrel is, but we do know that Herod has a big hand of oppression over them. And the reason for this is that he has the power to cut off their food supply. Not only does he have the power to persecute, jail, and to end the life of believers, he also has the power to keep people from putting food on their tables. And so what we find in this leader is we find a man who is drunk in his own pride, drunk in his own power and abilities, and he is going after what he wants at the expense of the people around him. Friends, you and I, we know that we are predisposed and we're wired to depend on our own wisdom our own strength, our own understanding. And when we rely on these things, we find that that does not coexist with humbly coming underneath the reign and rule of God. Apart from the work of God in our lives, you and I will live pride-filled lives. Without the redeeming work of the gospel at work in us, you and I, our efforts will be self-focused. A part of God's formation and formative work in our lives is not just through his word to us, it's actually through the people that we walk with. It's through other believers speaking the word of God to us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book, Life Together, writes about the need of having biblical community, having other people speaking the word of God to us. He says this, but God has put his word into the mouth of men in order that it may be communicated to other men. When one person is struck by the word, he speaks it to others. God has willed that we should seek and find his living word in the witness of a brother in the mouth of a man. He later writes and also clarifies the goal of all Christian community is that you and I would meet one another as bringers of the message of salvation. You see, it's very important that you and I have people who know us people who know the real Caleb, people who know the real things that I'm wrestling with and walking through because I need those people to speak the truth of God's word to me. It's not enough for me to read God's word and meditate on it because I can easily be deceived by the pride of my own heart. And so who is speaking the word of God to you? Who is speaking the word of God to me? Who are those people that we are intentionally living life with who can come to us who can show us in God's word and can point things out in our life that may be blind spots or maybe there are issues of pride that we need to be brought out. Because pride exalts self, you and I need outside help. We need people outside of ourselves to bring to us the issue of pride in our lives so that we might confess it and walk forward in humility. And so the first point is that pride, it exalts itself. Secondly, pride opposes God. Not only does pride exalt self, pride opposes God. It says this in verse 21. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. It's 1994 and it's game three of the NBA Eastern Conference Finals. The Chicago Bulls and the New York Knicks are in competition together. The New York Knicks have a two to zero lead in the series. We're in game three. There's just about 10 seconds left in regulation. Scottie Pippen has the ball. He brings the ball up the court. He takes a highly contested jump shot. The ball goes off the top of the backboard and it's rebounded by the Knicks who then take it down the court and tie the game with just 1.8 seconds left. Coach Phil Jackson calls timeout. He begins to draw up a play to help his team, if they execute it, win the game. And in this timeout, as he's drawing up the play, Scottie Pippen, the star, the rising star on the team, purposely benches himself. He removes himself from the huddle and sits down on the bench because the play that the coach was drawing up did not include him taking the shot. In fact, he was going to be the one inbounding the ball for another teammate to take the shot. And so the, the play's drawn, the play starts, Pippen's on the bench, the ball is inbounded, the other player, person on the team takes the shot and they win the game. And what happened in this story is that Scotty Pippen was being driven by pride. He wanted to be the one to take the shot and his coach opposed that. His coach opposed the pride, drew up a different play in order for his team to move forward and to experience victory. And here's what we find. Much like what Pippin went through, you and I at times, unfortunately, more often than I like to admit, we have issues of pride in our life and we need outside help to point it out, to confront it, and to help us move forward past it. Each of us has varying degrees of pride in our life. And I love what C.S. Lewis says. I don't know what work he wrote this in, but he's quoted saying this. Pride is like bad breath. Everyone else around you knows when you have it. And so pride is a very dangerous thing because more often than not, we're not aware that we are walking in pride. And so we must have outside help to come in and show us when we're walking in pride. Back to our text, verse 21 says, on the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne, he delivered a public address to the people. And so as a result of the peace that was brought together between Tyre and Sidon and Herod, Herod decides that he's gonna throw himself a big party. And this is evident based on the fact that he is wearing certain garments. He's wearing very um, expressive garments, very nice garments. He's sitting down on an elevated platform. And then lastly, he gives a public address. Josephus, a, a Jewish historian alive at the time, he writes about what happened at this time and at this day. He writes this. After the completion of the third year of his reign over the whole of Judea, Agrippa came to the city of Caesarea where he celebrated spectacles in honor of Caesar. On the second day of the spectacles, clad in a garment woven completely of silver so that its texture was indeed wondrous, he entered the theater at daybreak. There the silver, illumined by the touch of the first rays of the sun, was wondrously radiant and by its glitter inspired fear and awe in those who gazed intently upon it. And so upon hearing the speech that Herod gave, upon seeing what he is wearing and how the sun was reflecting off his garment, here is how the people respond. They say, this is the voice of a God, not of a man. This is a very serious statement that is being made by the people who are observing Herod. Because of his appearance, and I believe because of their fear of him, they are are exclaiming things about him that are not true. We all know that in the scriptures, specifically for the Jewish people, if someone were to claim that they were divine or that they were God, and it was not true, that that was punishable by death. And yet we have a king who is making claims about being divine, who's filled with pride, who is not godly, who is merciless with other people, and the people receive that claim. And then you counter that with our king. King Jesus, who is filled with humility, who is filled with grace, who is filled with mercy, who indeed is God, and he was crucified for the claim that he made. And so we have before us a people, I believe, who are filled with fear. And what they're beginning to do is use flattery. They're using flattery because they're afraid of Herod and they want to win him over. Flattery is to deliver excessive and empty praise in order to... Gain someone else's end. And so flattery is very dangerous because, especially in Herod's case, he's already blinded by pride. And now he is being praised by other people and being told things that are not true about him. And what we find about flattery is that it can cause us to believe things that are not true. Uh, one of the things that I appreciate deeply uh, uh, is when someone can give compliments that are sincere and true. I remember uh, playing sports in high school. And many times I would come off the court or come off the field and someone who was well-meaning would say, great job out there. And my thought would be, were you watching how I played out there? Because if you were, you would not be congratulating me right now, right? And so I think sometimes people compliment and people say things in a flattering way, not because they're trying to deceive us, but because they don't know exactly how maybe to confront us. One of the things that I really value and appreciate about my wife is that she gives sincere compliments. This actually really bothered me when we were first married, because I wanted her to flatter me. I wanted her to say that I was doing a good job on little things or on things that maybe didn't deserve a full compliment, but she gives sincere compliments. And what that also means is that when criticism is due, it's sincere and it's well-received. And it's a gift because I know when she comes to me with something, I know that it's been thought through and that it is sincere. Friends, we need people around us who don't flatter us. We need people around us who are willing to see us for who we are and who are willing to confront us. We need people who know what the Bible says and can bring the truth of God's word to bear on our lives. I don't need people around me who tell me what I want to hear. I need people around me who tell me what I need to hear. And the way that that happens is when people around us have the word of God and can come to us in grace and in mercy and can call us out. And if I can go even further, we need people around us who will stay with us, who will stay with us when we react in pride, when our reaction is not to receive the feedback right away, when our reaction is petty or when it's unkind, we need godly men and women around us who will come to us with the truth of God's word and point out our faults. So the gospel of Jesus brings us mercifully face-to-face with our pride. So that we can confess it, and then we can walk forward in humility and obedience. So we've talked about how pride exalts self. We've talked about how pride opposes God, and then finally, pride falls before God. Pride falls before God. Verse twenty three says this immediately because Herod did not give praise to God. An angel of the Lord struck him down, and it was and he was eaten by worms, and he died but the word of God continued to spread and to flourish. Friends, well, the thing I wanna ask you and the thing that I've been processing, it's amazing. I was telling the elders as we prayed about this earlier, that the things that I was processing when I wrote this weeks ago is different than what I'm processing this morning because pride doesn't take a break. Uh, and the question that I have for us is, what, what oozes out of our lives when we are pressed? When circumstances we face are difficult or challenging, what is it that results out of our life? One of my favorite snacks when I was in elementary and middle school was a snack called gushers, right? These delightful treats, you would bite into them and there would just be this juice that would ooze out of them. And so when a gusher is pressed, there is inner contents that are pressed out and that come out of them. And so when you bite into a gusher, you get a delicious juice. What comes out of us when we're pressed? What comes out of our our reactions to things in life when we are pressed? And the thing that I want us to think about with the word of God is that whenever the word of God is pressed, what comes out of it is always pure. What what comes out of it is always true. The word of God is always pure, always true, always able to work in our hearts and in our lives. And it packs major punch when we're willing to surrender to its power. Throughout history, people have opposed the word of God, they have sought to oppose it by silencing those who speak it and even by trying to remove the very word of God itself. Back in 303 AD, Diocletian, one of the emperors of Rome, sought to burn all physical copies of scripture. He was pridefully opposing God's word. And the thing that we find is that after two millennia, the word of God is still the best-selling book. It's been translated fully into 700 different languages. And there are people today who give their lives to be able to sit under its teaching. The word of God, when it is pressed, and more specifically, when the word of God in the lives of its people are pressed, the result is that the name of Jesus spreads. When the people of God are pressed, when the people of God find themselves in difficulty, the name of Jesus continues to spread and so because there's always been opposition to the word of God, it's very important that we understand that when we are pressed, that at times pride is going, to be re- the, is going to be the result. So let's confess that. Let's give that over to our father. The word of God will overpower and it will put down the pride of our hearts. The pride of man, when it is met with the word of God, will always be overthrown. And some, when they're oppressed, when people are oppressed, the word of God will break them. It will cause them to understand the brokenness in their hearts. It will expose the areas that they need to surrender. But for others, the word of God, when they are confronted with it, it will crush them. Because they will fail to humbly admit their need for God. They will fail to surrender under his rule and reign. Matthew twenty-one forty-two 42 through 44, Jesus has some very interesting thoughts that he shares about the power of his word. He says this, Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be Crushed. So, what these verses are saying to us is that the word of God will overpower your pride. The question for us this morning is Have you allowed the word of God to overthrow your pride? Have you allowed the word of God to humble you, to break you, that you might come in dependence to his son? Because what this verse is saying is that some, when they are broken by the word of God, they will be redeemed, they will be reconciled, they will be healed. But for those who do not humble themselves under the word of God, they will be crushed by it. Because the reality is that the word of God will overpower all pride. The name of Jesus at all expense will go forward. Throughout all historical accounts in scripture, the pride of man is always confronted by the word of God and the pride of man is always overthrown by the word of God. The king of Babylon in Isaiah chapter 14 is another example similar to what we see in Herod. Verse five through 11 says this, "'The Lord has broken the rod of the wicked, "'the scepter of the rulers, "'which in anger struck down peoples with unceasing blows, "'and in fury subdued nations with relentless aggression. "'All the lands are at rest and at peace. "'They break into singing. "'Even the junipers and the cedars of Lebanon "'gloat over you and say, "'Now that you have been laid low, "'no one comes to cut us down.'" The realm of the dead below is all astir to meet you at your coming. It rouses the spirits of the departed to greet you. All those who were leaders in the world, it makes them rise from their thrones, all those who were kings over the nations. They will all respond. They will all say to you, you also have become weak as we are. You have become like us. All your pomp has been brought down to the grave. Along with the noise of your harps, maggots are spread out beneath you and worms, cover you. This passage serves as a very powerful reminder that the word of God will and does overpower the pride of man. It does not matter what kingdom, it does not matter what ruler, it does not matter what age, the word of God, when it confronts the pride of man, it will overthrow that pride of man. So friends, we live in a culture today that openly opposes the word of God prideful opposition to what the word of God teaches is the norm. That is what is acceptable. Does this mean that we should be discouraged? Does this mean that we should shrink back and hide and cower? No, this is the time to see the word of God go forward, to see the name of Jesus spread in the lives of our family members, of our coworkers, of our friends who are not yet in the kingdom, who do not yet know who Jesus is. Because we can know for sure that God's word will overpower pride. We must cry out and pray that he will humble, that he will draw others to himself. The gospel, the name of Jesus spreads in the midst of prideful opposition. So there's a few things I want to leave you with. We can trust that God is at work. We can trust that he's at work in the lives of those who are in power those who have authority, those who have power over us, over our country, whatever example you wanna put in that category, we can trust that God is at work. And as we pray, let us pray that they will set aside their pride and humbly come underneath the reign and rule of God. Let us also trust that God is at work in the lives of our family members and friends who we love, who are still pridefully opposing God, who don't yet know him. Let us trust God. Let us pray to him and call out to him that he would graciously humble them and draw them to himself. And that perhaps most difficultly, let us trust that God will oppose our pride, that God will humble us and that he will bring to our attention the areas of pride in our life. And let us have the humility to confess that and to walk forward in humility and follow him. May the word of God oppose the pride in our hearts and cause us to joyfully confess that he is king, that he is the one who deserves praise in our lives. The key thought that I leave you with this morning is that God's word spreads despite prideful opposition. The word of God will spread despite prideful opposition.